Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. Hope you're doing well. Here with Clayton Silver. Now, I wonder if you could introduce yourself to the audience and the topic of our conversation today. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Clayton Silva. I'm a Brazilian national. I live in Brazil. I, I'm a lawyer here, uh, and I also have some background on economics. I studied business administration in, at McGill University in Canada. I lived in Canada for seven years, and I'm here to talk about the Brazilian election. So I, you know, it's funny because I was confident that he was going to win, but I always hate to say it because I'm always concerned that people are going to say, oh, it's in the bag, you know, and then they don't go out and vote. And that was the same thing with Trump. How did you find, I guess, the post-stabbing election cycle in Brazil, and did it work out the way that you thought it was going to? Yeah, basically, uh, one of the things that we noticed after the stabbing incident, uh, um, that his negative views was uh, decreased a little bit. Then what happened is the opposition party tried to raise their negative view by an attacking campaign and also pretty much like uh, all all the routine, the lefty routine about uh, uh, calling names, uh, saying he got a, a fascist uh, view, fascist program. So basically that was pretty much the attack, trying to raise their, their neg uh, his negative view. But it, actually that didn't work out because... Uh, he almost win in the first uh, you know, back uh, three weeks ago, and we did, but it is, he didn't reach the 50% plus one vote. So we have to to have a had a runoff. So that's why we have a runoff last weekend. And what do you think were the major drivers that had people take the risk on a sort of candidate who the media was so much against? Well, uh, what it's really interesting when you compare the campaign spending compared to the last presidential election, this election. So basically, we had some issues with corruption on the system. So we have a huge decrease on the volume of money spent on the election. Um, basically, uh, we, we went to a 100%, uh, not actually not 100%, but uh, almost 100% public finance election. So we could, as an individual, could make some donations for the for the campaigns, but it was a not very considerable considerable money. So basically, this campaign he spent only a million dollars. He actually he raised a million dollars. He spent less than a million dollars to 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 elect to be elected president. And just to comparison, last year, last, last election in 2014, the President Rousseff uh, was elected spending $120 million. <laughs> wow. Well, and, and you know when the, somebody's yeah, spending that kind of money on an election that there's a lot of people who expect favors in return. So the less that someone spends on an election, usually the more corrupt, uh, the, the less corrupt they're going to be after the actual runoff. Exactly. And, and basically, and, and that's the workers' party, you know, like the workers' party spent almost, uh, one, uh, actually, almost 250 billion because this 125 that I mentioned, it doesn't count the illegal spending. So they had like illegal spending, uh, uh, an illegal accounting. And 
some estimates, including the, the League of the Nations, the, the, the money spending, the, the spending done by cash, uh, some estimates, uh, the figures can, 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 be, can reach like uh, $200, $250 million. Wow. And uh, Bolsonaro actually spent less than a million dollars because he raised a million dollars public and private with the private donations and he spent like uh, uh three quarters of that like now, 700,000. How was he able to I mean do 1% of of the spending that's been done in the past and I assume that the media was against him as they were against uh, Trump. How would do you think he was able was it leveraging social media was it a lot of travel how was it that he was able to have such an effective campaign with so little money? What it's most most interesting, and that's actually we, I, I, I see as a phenomenon because um, the guy got stabbed like uh, 50 days before the election, and uh, pretty much he went spend the the, 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 the the crucial time of the election season in a hospital or the recovering at home, and he, pretty much the, his campaign was done by the supporters. So people through social media, through Facebook, they did, they, their elect, electors did a campaign for him. It's, it was pretty much like that. And also it very, a lot of engagement on social media, like especially uh, through WhatsApp. And uh, also, I, I think, I, I don't think Bolsonaro as a candidate, it's pretty much like a movement because uh, it's a rejection of the current system uh, a rejection of the workers' party, and that what I think uh, got him elected. The, this election was really an interesting because we didn't discuss the more the crucial, the most crucial uh, issue that we have in the country, that which is the public debt and the need of pension reform. We didn't discuss that, and the campaign was pretty much like uh, um, a referendum on Bolsonaro. How could say that? And uh, also what is one of the things most uh, extraordinary extraordinary is that Workers' Party was able to get 45% of the votes. I was not expecting the, 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 for them to get that much of votes because um, they pretty much ran the country since 2002. Um, the last president was impeached in 2016. And the problem, 2015 actually, and the problem is they were able to detach themselves to the, to the recession because their socialist, socialist uh, policies uh, brought the country to this recession, you know, the extraordinary levels of uh, public spending and the um, all the tax raises and everything was was uh, terrible to the economy, and they were able to detach themselves to to this recession. Not a, not a hundred percent, but a, a lot of people see the current president like uh, their vice president elected. If it's another it's another party, it was a kind of a collision. Um, as the responsible for this recession, and, and it's not true because pretty much uh, he's trying to uh, not get the things worse. Uh, he tried to cut a little bit of spending. He tried to do the pension reform, was not able to do it, and uh, that that is was most fascinating fascinating thing I, I would say that happened. Like 
they were able to get 45% of the votes, and I think that was too much votes for them, considering well, but that I, they, they I, ran the country. It, it's, similar, it's similar throughout the democracies in, in the world these days, which is that the, what you can actually talk about is quite limited. So Trump could talk about tax cuts, but he couldn't talk about social security reform in any meaningful way. He couldn't talk about Medicare or Medicaid reform, even though these policies or these programs are within years of, of running out of money, some of them. So what you can actually talk about is actually quite limited. And it doesn't surprise me that the left is still get a lot of votes because people are voting on their pocketbooks, right? They're voting on their bank accounts. They're concerned that, I guess like everyone, everyone knows the national debts are insane and nobody wants to be the one who takes the bullet for the national debt. The retirees don't want to be the ones, the, the, the school teachers, the government workers, the, the pen, like they don't want to be the ones to take the bullet. So what you can actually talk about in a practical sense is, is kind of limited in a way. And it's kind of frustrating for those of us who can see a wider spectrum. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And um, actually, that's why the, the, the campaign was, uh, was focused so much in, in, certain, in certain social issues like... Uh, uh, sex education in these public schools, you know, that was a huge topic. Uh, and because the, as, as the traditional left party, like the workers' party, party tried to implement uh, during these years, they, they were in power since 2002, okay? So in 2002, they got elected on an economic, populist economic uh, left agenda, but they try to implement some like uh, identity politics, uh, and so so they they implement in Brazil like uh, the uh, affirmative action mm. uh, policy in Brazil, which uh, we never used that. We actually thought, all all thought about equality between the races and uh, the racial thing. There, there was not a like as much racial tension there was before the workers' party got into the power. So basically, they got into power in 2002 on an economic uh, agenda, and they tried to implement some uh, uh, social agenda as well uh, regarding identity politics, like uh, uh, gender issues, uh, which was not something that was the, the most important thing for the, for the families. And 2006, they got reelected because of uh, a good um, international environment. Uh, a lot of uh, money was coming to Brazil uh, through direct investments, and so they got reelected. In 2010 was a, was after the recession. So since we did not felt the recession right away. So uh, they were able to, um, Lula, in this case, the President Lula, was able to elect uh, its, uh, his successor, which was President Rousseff. But in 2014, that was the crucial moment, because in 2014, uh, uh, it was like, uh, the economy was like, uh, everybody was predicting there was some slowdown in the economic growth, and they tried to maintain the economic growth artificially, so that they got so the president uh, Rousseff was reelected. So they push the public debt through the roof. It was like uh, unbelievable. Uh, for instance, in 2013, we got a, like a 50% GDP of public debt. Uh, the public debt was about 50% of the GDP in 2013. 
this year, 2018, we're going to probably close the year with 78% of public debt. Right. Right. That, I mean, in five years. This is, you know, some, somebody was saying the other day on Twitter that, you know, Obama saved, sowed the seeds of the current economic growth and so on. And it's like, well, yeah, if you double the national debt in, in eight years, you, you can create quite the illusion of economic growth. Like the guy says, oh, I'll just live on my credit card. Why on earth would I bother working? It's like, well, because eventually you got to pay your credit card debt off and you've got to have a job usually to do that. But this pumping of debt money into the economy to give socialism the illusion that that it's working or give people the illusion that socialism was working is a very common tactic and man do you have to pay for it because whoever comes in with common sense economics afterwards is usually blamed for all of the what's called austerity which is basically just kind of a return to mathematical and fiscal sanity but you take a lot of heat for coming in after this drug high of uh, debt that the leftists generally generate yeah and one of the things that it's uh, most unique for the Brazil for for the Brazilian uh, crisis is that we have a lot of uh, mandatory spending through, const through the Constitution. Mm. You know, uh, it, this is something that um, uh, probably a, a lot of uh, of your listeners you you find really uh, strange. But uh, uh, our Constitution, Brazilian Constitution, uh, 1988. Constitution uh, requires this the the government to spend money. It's uh, so basically we have like uh, a, a constitutional legal document full of uh, positive rights. So uh, we have like three articles that the uh, states which rights the, the the population has like the five uh, the article fifth, six and seven, and the sixth uh, it's pretty clear they say that it, all the citizens have the right to public education public health care, food, work, housing, transportation, <laughs> entertainment, public safety, social security, protection to maternity and infancy, and finally, as this assistance to the economically vulnerable. So it's pretty much like uh, you just have to breathe, then the state <laughs> is going to take care it's, of you. It's the unicorn wish list. Wouldn't it be nice <laughs> if everyone had free healthcare and wouldn't it be nice if everyone had a roof over their head and enough to eat and it wouldn't be nice if if nobody had had was poor and it's like yeah the, the, these things all would be nice but you know getting there is kind of a challenge and just enshrining these things on a piece of paper doesn't guarantee that they magically pop into existence but that does seem to be the fantasy exactly that's the, the fantasy and it pretty much like the brazilians they buy into that so when you talk like about the left in Brazil, left in Brazil, it's 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 socialist. It's pretty much socialist parties, okay. And we're talking about like center right, like Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro, you never criticize, for instance, uh, like uh, uh, the existence of public health care, because like it's it's almost like political suicide. Uh, <laughs> almost and, like and, it is and, political suicide. So yeah, we don't have a we don't have a party that's going to say you know what the function of the state is just uh, a national defense and as public safety. Yeah, that's, some courts, some police, some national defense, maybe the prison system, and uh, that's it. Everything. And you, you, you so many people it. are now dependent on the state that they can't imagine. Like the pro pro the provision of services has now been so enmeshed in the idea of the state that people think that if you want to get rid of socialized medicine, 
you want there to be no healthcare system. And if you want to get rid of public education, you don't want children to be educated. And if you want to get rid of welfare, you don't want the poor to get help. Like they've become so entwined in the idea of government that people can't imagine voluntary or peaceful or free market solutions to these issues. And that, that's a tough nut to crack in terms of rhetoric. Yeah, and in Brazil, we have like public brand hospitals, which are terrible, 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 terrible. And you have public brand hospitals, you have uh, public brand schools. Uh, this system is really centralized because that's kind of a, a historical tradition of, uh, the Braz of Brazil. So since the colonial time, uh, we always have this uh, centralized government. It's different from uh, United United States, where you, uh, the government is more decentralized. Um, maybe not nowadays, but uh, like uh, historically, was like uh, 13 colonies uh, get independent. And Brazil was like uh, passed from the Portuguese king to his son, to the Prince Pedro. Uh, he took over power and pretty much like became an absolute mon monarchist. And uh, that goes from that. So it's, uh, everything is very, really centralized in Brazil and come from the top, from the federal government. And people expect the government to intervene in their lives. And, and, and that's a culture thing that must be changed if you want to really uh, uh, integrate the developed world. But aren't you people know? aren't people basically terrified of Venezuela? I mean, isn't that the big giant Titanic warning sign that people are like, "Whoa!" So this is where this leads, and people kind of. I mean, I think a lot of Americans are terrified of what's happening in Europe and and Great Britain. Uh, is there not that same? Like, if we look at the smoke of the horizon and the Mordor and Nazgul haunted hellscape that is Venezuela, isn't there that fear that this is going to get this way? Is that is Bolsonaro somewhat of a reaction to that? Do you think? Yeah, he is a reaction. In, in, in basically, uh, Venezuela was one of the most uh, um, talking points. One of the things that was most uh, uh, debated through the social media, because we know how it happened, what what is happening there, because we we have like uh, some migrants that that come from Venezuela to to Brazil. So we understand the issue. Uh, we understand the, the how people is there is poor. And the, all the, the, the former two presidents, like Lula and Rousseff, both of them defended Chavez and defended Maduro. So uh, the, we associate them. But, you know, the, there's people that think, oh, no, that's Venezuela. That's another country. There's always that big part of the population that can't... They, it's almost you cannot reason with them. Well, they, they think that somehow the mathematics is different in Brazil than it is in Venezuela or that human nature is, is very different or somehow it's the old thing. Socialism didn't work over there, but by God, it's going to work here. And it is like, I don't know how many times we need to learn this lesson, but I hope it's not one more time for Brazil. So how much do you think he's going to be able to get done relative to his agenda? Because, I mean, we see with Trump and we saw with Thatcher, but we see with Trump that as soon as he gets into power, the left start inventing these conspiracy theories like Russia meddled with the election and so on. And they try to hound people out of the administration. They try and cripple him with endless investigations. And they try and burden people with huge legal debts so that they all think twice about going to work for Trump and so on. What's the left going to do, do you think, in Brazil to try and interfere with what Bolsonaro, I think, has been given a mandate to do? Basically, uh, 
the most difficult part of the of his agenda it should do the con constitutional reforms because to change the pension the pension system you have to change the constitution to decrease the level of public spending you have to change the constitution so that's the big big challenge and so if you're going to make an amendment to the constitution by the way uh, our constitution was uh, date from 1988 in 35 in, in 30 years we had 100 amendments already hmm. because our constitution talk it pretty much like uh, covers everything every aspect of your life it, it's on the constitution it's unbelievable uh, we have like uh, sections about uh, uh, sports about uh, Public communication, social, public social communication, uh, government, governmental communication. Like uh, uh, it, it's it's unbelievable. Financial system, it's on the uh, on the constitution as well. So we have 200 uh, articles in the constitution, and so basically we have to approve uh, an amendment. Uh, it, it, it's necessary. 67 percent of the all lawmakers in the house, in the senate, to pass uh, an amendment. And, and that's a lot of votes. That's a lot of votes. I'm not sure he's going to have all the votes to make all the changes. Uh, basically, the, the crucial thing crucial thing is the pension reform. Basically, of all the entitlement, entitlement uh, spending, 50% go to Social Security. So we have to decrease this. If, if you don't decrease the spending, the, the spending level on the Social Security, uh, basically, the country is going to bankrupt like in two, two, three years. Oh, that soon. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's still a kind it, of hazy it, distance it, for a lot of people in America. But it really is still within this election cycle. And that's generally when politicians finally got up their asses to do something is when it's in this election cycle that the disaster could occur because otherwise they just skate through to the next one and blame the enemy if they um, uh, if they lose. Yeah, in Brazilians, they have like a, a I'm not sure if it's a culture or a tradition yet. I didn't. Uh, I'm not sure about that yet. But we have like a tendency to postpone gratification. So uh, we always wait to the last minute to make the change. <laughs> Usually we do the change, but uh, it's like always waiting for the last minute. So you're always procrastinating, and that's not a good thing, especially when talking about um, uh, public policies. Now. I guess another question that I have regarding where Brazil is and where it's going is, do, do people remember enough that they know that if they can't solve these problems of democracy, that most likely there's going to be another military interlude in the country's governance? That's, that's a good question because, you know, like we had uh, uh, one, two... Five presidents from and 1989 to now, after the uh, we, we started uh, electing uh, presidents again, and two were not able to finish their uh, their mandates. So, the, so it, I, I don't think that that's something that it's plausible at the moment. Uh, they usually the left always talk about that, and it's now I'm going to vote for the, the democracy. I'm going to vote la for the left leftist party. But actually, they are the ones that uh, they are anti-democratic. So basically, in, in their um, agenda for uh, for the presidential election, they were talking about having a new constitution, 
they're talking about uh, controlling the press. <laughs> so they are the ones that are not in favor of uh, free speech. They are the ones that are not of, uh, in favor of democracy. And they always projecting to the other to the other party, you know, uh, to the other side of the aisle. And uh, it, pretty much the tactics that we see on the um, on the leftist party in Europe and in the US, we see here now, I think it's because of the globalization and the communication. It's like so much improved. They, they, like, uh, they have like a, a global agenda for that. And is the media in... Actually for... No, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, and, and one of the things that it's uh, about, the, like, it's not a global agenda, but you have a, like a regional agenda, which is a call... Orsal, Orsal, it's U-R-S-A-L. It will be like uh, uh, USSR for Latin America countries. So that will include Venezuela, Brazil, Bolivia, uh, Cuba, and all those countries under like a socialist republic, uh, United uh, Republics, you know. Uh, and there was something that was, uh, envisioned back in 1989 by Fidel Castro and Lula at the time. Um, and that's kind of, kind of a movement try to integrate. That's why he always uh, he used their, um, the influence that Brazil, Brazil had in the last, dec last decade. And also Venezuela, when the, the oil was like uh, $150 a barrel, uh, Venezuela was like an economic powerhouse because of the high uh, oil prices. And he tried to buy influence in other countries, like in Ecuador, like in Bolivia, both countries, Brazil and Venezuela, and uh, also Cuba. Cuba was pretty much like uh, the um, intellectual uh, um, behind the, 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 this kind of a movement. They, didn't have, they don't have any money in Cuba, obviously, but Fidel Castro was like, uh, Pretty much like the boss behind uh, the movement, trying to to extend the socialist socialist influence in South America uh, in those countries. No, uh, the leftists always love a super state wherein they can control any possibility of competition among member states, and where they can all just hide responsibility and and. Uh, bureaucracy and corruption and so on. It's like the EU, right? They, they just want this super state to make sure that they can impose their rules because otherwise countries that are more sensible are going to start attracting investment and even populations from countries that are less successful. So they just want to squelch even the remote free market of countries operating under different policies. And that's a tragically common thing because, of course, in Central America, you have, I mean, the two widest, I think, um, Examples of social systems are Cuba and Chile, right? I mean, Chile, to some degree, free market. You know, Cuba, of course, uh, communistic. And these are kind of hard lessons to miss, you know, in terms of how these countries are doing. I mean, even if you throw Argentina out the window, Argentina, of course, had, had the same per capita income as America up until the 1930s and, and was a huge powerhouse and had a very, very bright future ahead of it. And it constantly keeps getting undercut in Central America and South America, constantly gets keeping, uh, keeps getting interrupted and undercut by all of these leftist policies, even though the examples are very clear. But I guess it's as clear as the USSR was to Europe, and they're still making the same mistakes. 
Yes, uh, that, that's that's right. Actually, I was uh, I was checking the numbers, uh, some some data for Brazil uh, ahead of the call, and pretty much our situation is is not pretty good concerning uh, the economy and uh, and everything. Basically, uh, if you check if, if you take a look on the Harris Foundation Economic Index, we see that we have a huge problem with the fiscal health, and that's pretty much like the most important issue that we have right now. Uh, but also we have issues regarding the um, government integrity, that we have a lot of corruption in the country. Uh, it's not only public corruption, but I would say also uh, through the corporations, we have corruption as well. And so we, we have some a lot of homework to do uh, if you want to, to really get out of this mess. I would say, and I think uh, also the the culture change must be done. We we must change uh, our the way we see uh, um, the way we, 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 we I think we lack uh, personal responsibility responsibility in Brazil. We we have to see the government as the last option, not the first option when we to, to fix our our problems, and. Uh, we need all those uh, constitutional reforms to, to do because uh, somebody once asked me, oh, you were favoring a new constitution. I just, um, yes and no. Yes, if it's going to if, if it's going to be better, but I know if it's if they're going to make like a worse constitution. So if we like we have a like a. Uh, 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 a leftist government, a leftist president again. I mean, they try to do a new constitution. It, it, they can make worse than the, the ones that we have right now. So pretty much like uh, I prefer to work at the moment since I, I don't see the Brazilians really change uh, regarding to the function of the state, or like their view uh, for uh, of, the, of, of the state, of the government role in, in their lives. I prefer to work with this constitution than to have a new one that it's going to be worse for us. <laughs> well, I appreciate the update. Um, I'll give you the last word, which is what is it that you would like to say? It was a fairly substantial Brazilian audience to, to this conversation. What is it that you would like to say to them in terms of what they need to be aware of moving forward and where they should put their political energies to the greatest effect? I think the conversations that we have in our uh, everyday are really important. So um, I'm doing a, I'm doing a master's program in, uh, here in Brazil, uh, and I'll, we always have uh, discussions. And pretty much, I try to to promote my ideas of uh, personal responsibility, of uh, liberalism, the classical liberalism, and uh, and and those discussions, they are important because uh, unless you run for a public office, uh, we're not going to impact uh, as much as you, you – uh, the, the, most, the most effective way to impact your life, to change your country, is to have those changes, small changes, uh, through the, the, this conversation that you have in your everyday life. So you have with your friends, you try to educate them. On, on those principles, and that, that that's really important, I, I see, as I see. Right. Well, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, please feel free to stay in touch and, and keep me up to date on what's going on. It is 
quite uh, an exciting time for this globalism versus nationalism debate and the possibility of re-emerging free markets uh, throughout the world. Uh, it feels like a real pivotal moment in history, and I really, really do appreciate your perspective on this. And, and thanks so much for the conversation. Uh, I thank you, Stefan, for the opportunity to talk about Brazil, and thank you for the show. It's uh, it's a great show, and as of, as everybody know, thanks so much.